Hey book friends, this is Corey. Thanks for listening along as we have a book club of two over a cup of tea. Our goal is to explore beloved genres as well as push ourselves out of our comfort zone and explore genres we might typically overlook or avoid. In each episode, we discuss a randomly selected genre. We will be sharing our reading experience and a brief review of the books we recommended to each other from the previous episode. Also a heads up, so that we can have a rich and in-depth conversation, there may be spoilers about the books we are discussing. All right, let's get started. This is episode five. Today we're talking about the genre of mysteries. Did Curie rebound from the drama, the trauma or drama <laughs> of our short story experience based on the text she was sending me last night? I think so. Yep. <laughs> so wait till you hear what we have for you today. A uh, spoiler alert, since these are mysteries, in order for us to fully discuss the books, we may share details that you may not want to know if you haven't read the books yet. So if that's the case, you might just want to hit the pause button, come back after you have read them. Also a warning, the hubster is off camping and <laughs> he usually is the dog wrangler while we're recording. <laughs> and on top of that, I am dog sitting for the friend he is camping for. So if you hear any random animal noises, well, that's what happens when you record at home. <laughs> the joys. <laughs> the joys. So again, apologies. They're hanging out right now. They're quiet, but they were barking a few minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. Coco has a very mischievous look on her face right now. So I know she's I'm expecting also, a show soon. Well, she's also staring at us. <laughs> she's like, I took a picture so you guys can see what we've been looking at today. She's like, what's going on, mom? What's going on? What are you and Carrie doing? Uh, she's so cute though. And her tail is wagging. She yeah. knows we're talking about her. Yep. <laughs> okay. Enough dog comments. Um, <laughs> all right, let's get started. So what's uh, been happening with you this week, Corey? Well, this week flew by. Um, as promised from last week, uh, Miss Corey was a complete hot mess after the beer festival. <laughs> Note to self, you can't drink a lot of beer when you're in your forties. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Yeah. I came home and passed out. I got up and ate some pizza and went back to bed. <laughs> it's hot like you're living mess. the twenties again. But I'm not 20. That's the problem. <laughs> also, I have a question for you. Yes. Have you been leaving me little love notes all I night? Have. <laughs> I've been so waiting for today to ask you that. I was actually wondering why you hadn't sent me a text message being like, are you leaving me purple flowers on my car? Because I am. Because you're parking right next to me. Basically, Yesterday, you were parking right in front of me. And I was like, I got to go find another purple flower. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so she's been putting them on my windshield under my windshield wiper. And it's been super sweet to come, come out after work. And there they are. Yeah. So... So yeah, life is crazy. I'm trying to take it easy this week because I'm headed on my two and a half week Oregon adventure next week. Oh so, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a big trip. Yep. Yep. I got to get ready for that. Yeah. So what's going on with you? So from last weekend, you know, Saturday was kind of a hot mess and, uh, Sunday was also a hot mess. I uh -oh. went over to a friend's house and, uh, uh, I was knitting and I brought my dog Chester and she has a couple cats, Merlin and, uh, Arthur, I think. and. Uh, Merlin decided that he wanted to attack Chester full fledged and kept attacking Chester. So, uh, they were both kind of shell shocked at what was happening. So I went after the cat and ended up getting an infected cat bite. So note to all of our listeners, if you get bit by a cat, it's going to get infected and you need to go to urgent care or something to get on antibiotics. Mm -hmm. So it's still a little sore, but the swelling has gone down and the Ouch. surgical 
they had to put surgical marker on me to keep track of it to make sure it didn't climb anymore because if it had I would have had to go to the hospital to get IV antibiotics so Sunday was a hot mess and uh the week went pretty quickly we have a new person at work that replaced our executive director that told us that she had 20 minutes to get out of her office and what it's crazy drama in my job right now I'm kind of like all right then uh, how's this gonna work it's kind of like what I imagine science organization organizations are going through with the Trump administration. Holy and, shit. Yeah. So. All right. We'll have to have a conversation about this <laughs> one offline. <laughs> News to me. So yeah, it's been crazy. It's been a crazy, crazy week. So hopefully it'll chill out. I think we're going to try and go to movies today to beat the Ooh. heat and the smoke because of course Flagstaff has a forest fire happening right now. So fire season in the mountains. Ugh, it's yeah. horrible. Yeah. I woke up this morning. I'm like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like, ooh, that's not good. Yeah, it's all over the place. Yeah. What are you going to go see? I think we're going to go see Wonder Woman. <gasps> I yeah. want to see You Wonder can come Woman. with us if you want. When are you going? I don't know. We have to figure out when our guests are showing up, okay. and then we'll decide, but probably in the middle of the afternoon. Okay, maybe. Okay. I, I want to go, but I... Again, I need to, like, clean the house and pack my shit. Right. So I'm ready to go on Thursday. So, TBD. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. I need to be a good adult here. Yeah. So uh, this was my week to pick tea, and I've had this little tea, like little stacking tins, and uh, that a friend gave to me for my birthday a couple years ago, and it's been hiding in a closet in my office. So sorry, Rebecca, if you happen to listen to this, but I was like, I'm taking these teas home because <laughs> we need tea to drink, and these are never going to get drank otherwise. Yeah. So I showed them to Curie, and I said which one do you want to do? And she's like, oh my gosh, we totally have to do Gypsy Rose. I was like, that's what I was thinking. Because we felt like that would be perfect for the 1930s theme. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what do you think of the tea though? You know, I think it kind of tastes like perfume. (laughs) So it's super rosy, Mm -hmm. which I don't really like. I can only taste the rose. I can't really taste anything else. So it's kind of like I just sprayed some rose perfume in my mouth. Yeah, I got to agree with her. And, and you know, it is, it's, so it's a black tea with rose petals, hence the name Gypsy uh, Rose. Yeah. So we should have figured that one out. Yeah, but it was the most fitting. It was. But sacrifices. Right. Made, yeah. But the brand is Zena's or Zena's Gypsy Tea. It is organic. Um, and again, this is a black tea with um, eco-friendly tea sachets. So I guess that means that they can go into the compost. So that's probably where we'll go next. Perfect. Um, so if you like flowery teas, which I guess neither Curie or I do. So that's one thing we have in common. Sweet. Um, you would love this. Otherwise it's kind of meh. Yeah. It's like potpourri or perfume in your mouth. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now do you want to talk about books? Let's talk about some books. All right. So uh, we decided to do our books that we're picking this week are mis- or that we just read, sorry, hot mess. <laughs> the books that we've just recently read are mystery books. So Corey, have you done any research on what makes a mystery a mystery? I did this morning. Dun, dun, dun. Because <laughs> again, we have real lives people. So we're like, yeah, we're going to research each genre and we're going to tell these amazing things. And then it's like, oh crap, we're recording in two hours. I better get that done. Um, but it was actually fun. I'm, you know, I was a history major as an undergrad, mm-hmm. so I'm kind of a researching geek. So I like these things. Okay, so here are the key things I learned about mysteries. At its simplest, it's a story where a detective can be either an amateur or a professional, and they solve a crime or series of crimes. Makes sense. Yep. Um, I thought this was an interesting note I found. The detective typically has nothing to gain from solving the crime. 
Which I think is applicable to both of our books. Correct. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There is usually a cast of suspects Mm -hmm. who all have a credible motive and a reasonable opportunity for committing the crime, which again, for our books, I think was very accurate. And then I found this really great quote by a woman named Joyce Sacrix. It says, mysteries consist of a puzzle. The author provides clues to the solution, but attempts to obscure some information so that the puzzle cannot be solved too easily. We, along with the detective, are drawn into the puzzle in an attempt to solve it. Ooh, I like that. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. I was like, yep. That, that, that is how I felt the whole mm-hmm. time reading these books. And um, as you might imagine, mysteries usually follow a particular pattern or formula. There's a crime that happens, then there's an investigation, and then in most situations, although not always, there is a solution. Yeah, I feel like one of our books did not have a solution. Mm, yeah. And I found this other thing that another little statement that I liked, it said many mysteries are more than a straightforward puzzles written to a pattern. Most involve layers of information about plot and characters that must be peeled away. Mm, That's cool. Yeah. I thought that was a good description. Yeah. Cause I think the whole point of mysteries is that you don't really know who to trust. Like you think you're supposed to trust this one person and that person usually ends up either being the culprit or dies. I know. It's one of the two. They're usually never innocent when you think they're supposed to be innocent. Yeah, I would say that's accurate. And I'll talk about this more later. But I feel like every time I read a mystery, I'm like, oh, it must be them. Yeah, oh, yeah totally. totally yeah. And then I read about the next person. I'm like, oh, or maybe it's them. And then one of them dies. I'm like, okay, it definitely wasn't them. <laughs> that's what I thought all throughout. And then there was none. I was like, oh, it's so-and-so. And oh, that person said, oh, it's so-and-so. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. Who done it? Who done it? <laughs> So when do you think the first mysteries, like officially, according to historical notes, were written? I'm going to say sometime in the 1700s. Eh. Really? Yep. So again, I found this really interesting. So this is according to Wikipedia. So take it as it is. I didn't go check the footnotes and all that. Um, But mysteries didn't become a genre until the mid 1800s. Oh, wow. And the reasons, which I thought were super cool, was number one, the English Renaissance. And it said that. Um, with the Renaissance, people became more individualistic thinkers, and they started believing that people had the ability to problem solve and rationalize. Huh. Which makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And then the other thing was that prior to the Industrial Revolution, there really wasn't police force, so there was no really detectives. Oh, that also makes sense. It was like basically kept to the king's guards. To the night watchmen. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Which is, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So a couple of the early ones, a um, couple that I was like, oh, of course, and people I hadn't heard of. Um, das Fräulein Fra- 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 oh, Fra- von Skidere by E.T.A. Hoffman was written in 1819. Um, so that was kind of the earliest work that was documented. And it was also said to influence Edgar Allan Poe, which makes sense. He's kind of a thriller, horror, suspense, mystery writer. Um, and he wrote The Murders in the Rue Morgue in 1841. And then I've heard of The Woman in White by Wilkie mm, Collins. Yeah. That was published in 1860. So that's, and after, I was actually reading a little description of it, and I was like, ooh, that one sounds interesting. We can do it for the next round of mysteries, okay. maybe. Okay. And then um, Arthur Conan Doyle, who, of course, wrote Sherlock Holmes, he started that series in 1887. And that was really kind of what made mystery writing take off. And then the next bit of history jumped to the 1920s, where we had... Agatha Christie! Dun, dun, dun. Um, who is said to be one of the most popular mystery writers of all time. The other thing that I thought was super cool is they said the other big influence that made mystery um, writing 
become bigger was the start in the 1920s of all what they called the juvenile or children's uh, detective series. So Nancy Uh, Drew, Hardy Boys. I was like, oh, yeah. Um, And so that and that makes sense, though, because then you're introducing books to kids who then you're kind of creating that foundation for them to go into adulthood and want to be continuing reading mysteries. So, yeah. So that's my history and origin. Anything you would add? No. Okay. I just know that I really enjoyed the books. Right. Uh, so I did a little research on popular, popular authors and series. And again, I think mysteries is probably one of the most popular genres mm-hmm. out there. So the lists are really long and I got a little overwhelmed. So what I'm going to do is in the show notes, I'll put a couple of really great links that I found. One is a comprehensive list of popular mystery authors that is organized by timeline. So it kind of clusters them by different decades oh. and has hyperlinks and stuff. I was like, okay, you've done all my work for me. We're That's good. awesome. And then there was another one that I thought was kind of cool. That was 50 essential mystery novels that everyone should read. Ooh, that's cool too. So I will add those. Um, as far as like, I, and I certainly recommend a mix of old school and new authors. This was my first Agatha Christie and we'll talk more about that later, but I certainly have enjoyed some more recent popular ones. My recent favorite has been Robert Galbraith, which is JK Rowling's, uh, pseudonym. Mm. I haven't read any of hers. Love them. His whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) But other ones that popped up for recent authors were Louise Penny. That's been on my list to read Tana French. I love her. I know she's on my list. Yeah. Joe Nesbo, which I have read the snowman and it was pretty good. Uh, Patricia Cornwell's kind of a classic that's still writing as well as Sarah Paretsky and John Grisham came up, which kind of makes sense. It's yeah. sort of like courtroom thriller mysteries. So, yeah. Anywho. Okay. So Kiri, let's jump in with your pick. I can't wait to hear why you picked it and what you thought about it. So I picked, and then there were none by Agatha Christie and the only, I went to Goodreads and I Googled or I Goodreads searched mystery books and I was going to do Sherlock Holmes, but it was short stories. And after the trauma of short stories, I decided to switch to just a little novel. And this one was one of the highest rated mystery books on Goodreads. So that's why I picked it. I tried to keep it above 4.5 stars. And so this one out of like a hundred and something people have rated it 4.5 stars. Nice. So you want to hear one of my two Agatha Christie facts? Yes. Uh, actually, this book is the, um, let's see, how do I want to say it? It is the best-selling mystery novel of all times. <gasps> wow. Yeah. I did not know that. Uh-huh. So cool. Yay. And it was worth it. It was so good. Um, so that's why I picked it. I tried to pick books. I neither, Corey and I are friends on Goodreads. And so I'm able to click on a book and be like, oh, she's already read it or she hasn't read it and wants to read it or hasn't marked it as to read or anything like that. So I've been trying to pick books that way. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I did for this one. And I have a couple of random thoughts throughout the whole book um, that I had. And the first section of the book starts out with eight subchapters, which I thought would have been really cool if they would have continued and decreased them as people would have died Ooh. off. But that didn't happen. But that's okay. It was still really good. Um, so that was one of my first thoughts of it was nice that the first chapter only had eight sections to describe each person mm-hmm. that was going to be on the island. Um, the second thought was, this is a lot like Clue. Did you get that feeling? Oh, yeah. Like somebody okay. done it, but uh-huh. you don't know who and everybody's pretending like they're not involved uh-huh. and uh-huh. you're like mm, suspicious of everybody. <laughs> right. Um, then at some point I was like, it has to be the old lady. She's completely off her knocker. Oh, the really religious old lady. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, she did. She did not do it. <laughs> and then finally, the last thing was kind of like, who, who done it? Who the hell did it? Yeah. And I yeah. don't think we actually figure out who did it. Yeah. Did we? Did you? Did not, I forget it? Did you not read all the way through to I, the end? Right until like the author's note, I think, when the two detectives are talking. There was another section after that. <gasps> no! <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh no! Oh, so I can I? Oh, oh yes! Please tell me. <laughs> well, you need to have it. You have the book. I don't. Oh man! <laughs> oh shit! And this is what happens when you just plow through things oh. and you end an author's note. Okay. Well, well, before I tell you, out of the ten characters, who do you think it was? It was one of them. Oh, I don't know. I mean, maybe the young lady. Nope. It was the judge. Oh, because he's the one that disappeared. Right? Sort of. Yeah. So, okay. So the last bit that you missed somehow, and I almost missed it too, um, because it did do a weird jump thing. So I wonder wonder if that's what happened. We both borrowed the book from the library for people that are like, why do they know why this is? (laughs) So we were reading it as an ebook. So there, after the detectives write up um, and the description, there was a letter from the judge <gasps> where he put it in a message in a bottle, literally. And he totally explained how he did everything. Oh my God. I did not know that. Yes. Shoot. Shoot Coco. She's like, why are you getting so loud? It's because I didn't freaking finish the book. Well, the odds uh, are is that's probably still available. Uh, so you can probably reborrow it. And, um, <laughs> Coco is very upset at this. Yes. Uh-oh. Coco <laughs> might bark. Shh. Lay down. Lay down. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I oh, guess this shit. is a great moment for me to come in oh, then. Man. So I went back and I, so, so a couple things. I, I love reading mysteries. I'm terrible at figuring them out. Yeah. You know, I'm always like, Ooh. And, and, and I guess that's the sign of a good mystery when yeah. they make you suspect, suspect someone. And then all of a sudden you're like, oops, nope, that wasn't them. Mm-hmm. So as I went back and I reread parts, I think I did notice this when I was reading it, but again, you know, none of the characters were really that likable, right? Yeah. They were all kind of douchey. Yeah. They were all kind of douchey, which is actually why they were there. Yeah. Um, because the person, the mysterious Mr. Owens had decided that they deserved to die. Yeah. Because they had killed all killed someone. Mm-hmm. And so, but they, they, she really did with the judge. She used words like cold hooded reptilian eyes, cruel predator, and she, I mean, and she made other people seem not very nice, but she did not use descriptions like that for them. But she did with the uh, policeman. She called him Wolfie with his wolf mm. eyes and his wolf teeth. And yeah. so that was mm. also kind of what I was thinking. But then she, uh, Vivian, I think, killed him. And I was like, oh, yep, it's right. not him. Because yep. he's dead. Ha. Well, that was actually one of the quotes that I like. So I'll read that real quick since it's related, relatable. Um it said one of them was said all of them suddenly looked less like human beings. Mm -hmm. They were all reverting to more bestial types. Yeah. And I was like, Whoa. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, well, here's another quote for the judge, a dispassionate stare of a man well used to weighing humanity in the balance. Wow. And I think as I processed through after learning, it was the judge, you know, he was kind of putting them all on trial. If you yeah. start going back and reading some of the language, mm-hmm. he was, he was, he was wanting to see what mm-hmm. they said and see whether or not his, mm-hmm. if they were guilty. Right. And one by one, as he determined they were guilty, 
he offed them. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, I'm going to have to re-get the book and reread that section because, uh, I didn't, I didn't realize that there was not, that there was more. Well, I won't tell you anymore because it's kind of fun to read yeah. how he killed everyone. Shucks. That's um, so unfortunate. Well, that- I really liked the book and no wonder I was like so abandoned at the end because I was like, the investigators are just talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is boring. Like, are we really ever going to find out? And then I came to what I thought was the end mm-hmm. and I was like, gosh, darn it. I still don't know who done it. Right. Well, and that makes more, you know, when you, when we were starting out and you were like, well, one of them, we didn't figure it out. And I was looking at you and I was like, what did you mean by that? Corey gave me a side look of like, what What are you saying lady? (laughs) But anyways, um, I think that that, yeah. So, so go back and read it, go check it back out. Um, so yeah, this was my first Agatha Christie and it didn't disappoint. I I liked that it wasn't overly long. Um, it makes me want to go read more of her, Yeah, which is my other fun fact. How many books do you think Agatha Christie wrote? Like 50. 75. Oh, I was wow. close on that one. That's a lot of books. It to is. Read. I, she's kind of, James Patterson kind of does the same thing. Like mm. he has three or four new books every year. And I'm like, are you just stockpiling them? Like, Probably. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Started off young, didn't get a book deal and then just started publishing once he was, he got famous, I suppose. But Oh, that's true. Yeah. I bet that's what happened. Yeah. Um, I felt like she was particularly unkind to the women characters and her descriptions of them. Did you get that sense? You know, I just kind of figured it was like early 1900s and women are supposed, you know, Mm -hmm. are always kind of depicted in a Mm -hmm. not very educated, intelligent way. Yeah. But you would think as a woman author that she would have been a little more sympathetic. Meh. Meh. I think I would probably not do well with having women Mm -hmm. be described well. Okay. I don't know. We're kind of mean true like okay we do have a lot of crazy in us sometimes (laughs) especially if it's like been a traumatic week and the crazy comes out in full roar true or we get hangry we both Mm. get hangry oh yeah i totally get angry yeah we got little (laughs) biatches when we when we get hangry yeah i realized i needed to eat some breakfast this morning before you came over i I almost forgot (laughs) i had a banana so we're gonna just plow through this as fast as we can (laughs) (laughs) we don't want to get hangry on our podcast scare away our listeners yeah um I had a question for you. Yeah. So do you think this premise could have worked today when you think about how the people were lured out to the island and how we communicate today? How would it have worked? So for listeners that haven't read it, do you want to explain? Or do you want me to do it? You can do it. Basically each, you know, when Kiri was talking about the beginning where there was the eight sections, um, most of them came by train again, you know, 1920s, Mm -hmm. uh, So there's a little section of them on the train and kind of processing and they all get this invitation to an island and you realize as you each read each of the sections is that they got an invitation from someone else and they got it via letter. And in some cases they're like, I think I know who this person is, or I can't quite read this, but I think that, uh, I met this person in so-and-so time. So my point being number one, we hardly ever write letters. And if we were going to invite someone to do something, we would probably email them. Yeah, but I think it would call be them. even more. I think it would be we could do it now because it is so easy to fake set up a fake Facebook page. Mm. You know, like that's mm-hmm. what you would do is you would get this letter. You would probably Google them, Facebook them, Instagram them. 
and it's easy to set all that stuff up, mm-hmm. you know, and especially if somebody has tech skills to set up, right. you know, a Wikipedia page, anybody can create a Wikipedia page. So if somebody could create a Wikipedia page and have, you know, fake job oh, stuff, okay. like, I think it would definitely, it would change it. It I would mean, change it, but it would definitely, I think, work. Well, and then I just even wonder with like being trapped on an island, although I guess I would, you know, maybe uh, there's still plenty of isolated places where I guess where you don't have like cell phone service and things yeah. like that. But I did, speaking of islands, one of my favorite quotes from the book is about islands. Ooh, tell me. And it said, there was something magical about an island. The mere, the mere words suggested fantasy. You lost touch with the world. An island was a world of its own, a world perhaps from which you might never return. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but this island was only, I mean, my understanding is that the island was only maybe a half a mile away from shore. Like right. it wasn't even mm-hmm. that far away from shore. Mm-hmm. You, somebody could probably swim it. Except for all the storms. Except for there was a lot of storms, but there was that one nice day when mm-hmm. like, I mm-hmm. felt like the rest of everybody else died. So. Although I don't know that I would be able to swim a half a mile in the ocean. Maybe. I don't know. People yeah. do it all the time. <laughs> practice practice <laughs> but then we wouldn't have that. that that was actually one of my notes that i made to myself when i was talking about the judge as i said um you know that he was trying them as criminals in his own wackadoodle island courtroom wow man i have to read the end of the book <laughs> dang it i'm still so upset oh this yeah. is my favorite part today <laughs> um i thought she was a really good writer i thought she did a good job with description yeah I do. I would agree with that. And it was captivating. Like, I didn't feel like there was any extra information given, mm-hmm. which meant it. So you kind of had to continue to flip the page mm-hmm. to get more. Right. And I think I, I definitely now can see why she's like the quintessential classic mm-hmm. mystery writer. As I read through it, I just read these elements that, you know, that you could kind of see how so many people have borrowed from how she does things. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're pretty good lady. Yeah. Good job. And then I also did copy and paste the horrifying nursery rhyme. Oh yeah. Um, I'll read that. Yeah. I'll read it just so that you guys can kind of get, this is essentially like the premise of Mm -hmm. this book. So it goes 10 little Indian boys went out to dine. One choked his little self. Mm -hmm. And then there were nine, nine little Indian boys sat up very late. One of her slept himself. And then there were eight. Eight little Indian boys traveling in Devon. One said he'd stay there, and then there were seven. Seven little Indian boys chopping up sticks. One chopped himself in halves, and then there were six. Six little Indian boys playing with a hive. A bumblebee stung one, and then there were five. Five little Indian boys going in for law. One got in chancery, and then there were four. Four little Indian boys going out to sea. A red herring swallowed one, and then there were three. Three little Indian boys walking in the zoo. A big bear hugged one, and then there were two. Two little Indian boys sitting in the sun. One got frizzled up, and then there was one. One little Indian boy left all alone. He went and hanged himself, and then there were none. So that is how the story goes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. Why don't we take a quick break, and then we mm -hmm. can come back and talk about your selection. Sounds awesome.
All right. Welcome back, listeners and fellow readers. Corey, why don't you uh, give us a little brief synopsis of the book that you picked? Okay. Well, I had a question for you first. Oh, okay. Uh, What is the first mystery book you remember reading? It was a James Patterson book, Roses Are Red. Nice. And then the second one was Violets Are Blue. Nice. Yeah. Coco does not approve <laughs> of your book choices. James Patterson's like candy. Yeah. I could read one of those in a day. Yeah, that's exactly why. So I started reading him in college when uh, I first started getting mm-hmm. into books. And I literally had 15 of his books because yeah. they were just delicious. And you could get them at Bookman's because Bookman's mm-hmm. has like all of the books. Yeah, yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So uh, when I started really thinking about mysteries, as I alluded to earlier, I've been reading them since I was a kid. I went through probably the whole Nancy Drew series about 15 times. Oh, wow. Yeah, I I love them. And then the Boxcar Children and Trixie Belden, um, Hardy Boys to a lesser extent. Obviously, I was drawn to the girls over the boys. I also Mm. read Encyclopedia Mm. Brown. But as I started thinking about it, I was like, dang, I've been reading mysteries all my life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, And definitely enjoying them. And then I think the other series that came to mind that I hadn't thought about in a million years was, and I think you'd probably like this one. They're kind of more the cheesy light ones. Um, and it's an author called Lillian Jackson Braun. And the, all the uh, titles start with The Cat Who. And so hmm. it'd be like The Cat Who Ate D- Danish Modern. That happened to be the one that popped up when I was looking at oh, this. Okay. And so they're really form- formulaic, but they're really short and simple and fun. Um, so I, I remember reading those quite a bit. And then the other one that I read recently that's really fun is A Study in Charlotte by Brittany Cavallaro. Did I tell you about this one? No, I don't think so. Okay. So it's a YA trilogy. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, maybe it. you did. Is it based in Georgia? No. Oh, okay. Or New Orleans? No. Okay. Never mind then. I read one of them, but. Oh, what is that trilogy? The Girl Witch? Oh, yeah. I know. The Savannah uh-huh. series. The yeah, Savannah, that yeah, one's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But not what we're talking about. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this one is, uh, it's a new book and it's the first one just came out. And basically Holmes is, and Watson are reimagined mm-hmm. as teenage descendants of the originals and they meet in American boarding school. Oh, cool. And the, the Holmes is a female, Charlotte Holmes. And I forget Watson's first name. I love the name Charlotte. Yeah. It's just so classy. So. <laughs> But it's super fun, and I, I would recommend it. Oh. You could read it in, in, like, a day. And I think they have the first one at the library as okay. an e-book. I think that's cool. how I found it. Excellent. So. Coco, I don't think, agrees with any of what you're saying either. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> she has opinions of her own. Yep. Mostly, she, like, why aren't you paying attention to me? Pretty much. Yeah. Can you tell I have a spoiled dog? <laughs> yeah. So I almost picked Louise Penny's first book, Still Life, because oh. I've heard a million good things about it. And, uh, I started it as an audiobook, and I just couldn't get into it. So my library loan expired and I, when I, and I, so I already had a request in for it. And so it came in as an ebook and I started reading it and I like it better written. Uh, oh, okay. Cause one of the things people are like, Oh, she's such a beautiful writer, blah, blah, blah. But the first one does start oh. kind of slow. And so I think definitely reading the words made a big difference, but I went with the wife, the maid and the mistress by Ariel Lawhorn. Um, and I picked it because I realized it had been on my shelf for a while and it was time to read it. And then someone else on, on another podcast that I listened to talked about it and they uh, kind of went through a little bit more of what the book was about. And it sparked my interest to finally check it out. And I figured I can make you read it too. Yeah, totally. And so my first thought was, why in the world did I wait to read this book? <laughs> I wrote down historical fiction meets mystery meets sassy, strong women pro- protagonist. Holy heck. Yeah. 
very accurate. Um, all the things mm-hmm. in one book that yeah. I like. Uh, I thought, and so the other thing that I found really interesting is as I started at, you know, I read Agatha Christie first mm-hmm. and then I read this one and I made a note to myself already trying to think of like contrasts and similarities. And I was like, Oh, these are going to be really different. I can see how the Agatha Christie is a whodunit, but this one is more of a what happened and why kind of right. mystery. Yeah, no. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's just like Agatha Christie. I got to the it. end and I was like, oh my God, this is just like Agatha Christie. <laughs> yep. So that was kind of cool though. I was yeah. like, this is why we're doing this. This yeah. is so fun. Totally. And so, yeah, you could really see, I think, the Agatha Christie influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so background. So Judge Crater is a real person. He disappeared in 1930 and it has remained an unsolved case. He had ties to the Tammany Hall political machine and a bunch of gangsters. So it was always assumed that he crossed the wrong person and was just gotten rid of. Uh, many other people in the book were also real. And I, at the end of the book, she has like little summaries of each of them mm. who was real, who she made up, who she kind of embellished. So I like that piece as well. Um, the story goes back and forth. It starts at the very beginning at, in uh, Club Alley in Greenwich, New York City, and it's which was a real 1930s speakeasy in the end. But this is 1969. So Stella Crater, who is the judge's wife, shows up at this bar, um, kind of seedy now, and she orders two whiskeys, one for herself and one for her long lost husband. And she's been doing this ritual for 39 years. And the difference is, is that uh, she has someone that joins her at this, this time. And she says, okay, I'm ready to tell you the real story. And it turns out to be one of the detectives that was trying to find out what happened to her husband back in 1930. So it has these 1969 interludes, but it's primarily set Mm -hmm. in 1930 and 1931. Mm -hmm. I found that I had to pay attention to the chapter headings. Yes, I did too. uh, Because it, it it goes back and forth a little bit between the thirties and 69 and it starts at August 1st, 1930. But then all of a sudden you'll look and it'll be like, Oh wait, this is in February of 1930 or March right. of 1930. So you do have to be kind of reading and paying attention to that. And so it's moves forward over about the course of a year and it follows these three women and the story of what happens to them after the judge disappears. And it's really about how do they navigate um, the investigations that are going on and the accusations and the assumptions. And you also learn how these three women's lives are intertwined. So the maid is literally Crater's maid, but she's also married to the detective that Stella is meeting 39 years later. Uh, Ritzy is a showgirl and is Crater's mistress. And, um, And so there's, again, some things there with all of that. I think... I felt like the narration kept me hooked because they kept giving you hints Mm -hmm. uh, that they knew more than what they were letting on. And they would share little bits of information, but you'd be like, I don't think I'm getting the whole story here. Yeah, it definitely, I definitely wouldn't have thought that they were all connected. Spoiler Uh alert, that they were all connected and basically in it Mm -hmm. to win it. Because Mm -hmm. I was kind of like, how are, how are these women's lives going to intertwine? And I just thought it was because they all knew Carter, Crater, Crater, Crater. Yep. Um, I was not expecting it to be uh, the three amigos against uh, the world. Well, so that's a great lead in, which we didn't even plan, of course. But I had marked a page and uh, I just want to read this. Okay. Okay. Because you probably didn't go back and find this, but no. I accidentally, after finishing the book, And it kind of tells you what happens, but it doesn't. So let's see here. 
Um, so this is the setting just is they're in the bathroom. Ritzy is just thrown up. Mm. And uh, let's see here. Do, 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 do. Where do I want to start, though? Okay. So uh, Ritzy sucked on the mint and then hesitantly met Stella's eyes in the mirror. You'd think I'd have a stronger stomach by now. Strong enough for what you need to do, though, right? Stella asked. For my part, yes. You do put on a good show, Stella nodded, approving. The clasp of her necklace had slid down and she moved it back to the nape of her neck. If you'll excuse me, ladies, I have business to attend to. Will I see you next week? Maria asked at the apartment. I'm leaving Sunday. No need for me to stick around given the certain the current circumstances. She glanced at Maria and then at Ritzy. It seemed as though she wanted to say more but felt vulnerable in that small room with so many others around. I'm sure they'll find Mr. Crater, Maria said. Let's hope so. It would be nice to know where he is, for certain. Mm. Maria lingered as Stella swept out of the bathroom. Ritzy gave Maria a desperate sort of look and lacking anything else to say, grabbed her purse and left. Even in this, the pecking order remained intact. Wife first, then mistress, leave the, laid behind, leave the maid behind to clean up the mess. Without thinking, Maria wiped down the counter with a paper towel and then stepped into the stall to flush the toilet Ritzy had forgotten. Oh, so I just read that last night. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even put it together because I was like, yeah. She's a showgirl, and they're at their at, they're at her show, and they just, watching her, right? And perform. you think that they just accidentally when they did just accidentally run into each other in the bathroom, yeah. But you start realizing all the double meaning yeah. of all the things that they said to each that other. Clever, kudos to the author, right? Yeah. Oh man, yeah. And because I think I had marked it this page initially because I liked that last little bit about the uh, pecking order remaining mm -hmm. intact. Yeah. And then as I was skimming through trying to figure out why I had marked this page and I reread it, I was like, holy shit, she just told us <laughs> everything we needed to know. I know, but there's so much happening in this book. Like this book has a lot of stuff happening to each of the individuals. Mm -hmm. Like Ritzy gets knocked up. Yep. <laughs> by Crater. By Crater. Spoiler alert. <laughs> the wife, Stella, is, you know, trying to figure out, oh, Coco would like to chime in as well. Uh, oh, we can break there. Stella is trying to figure her life out because she's kind of lived a very posh lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And how is she going to continue that lifestyle if she doesn't have access to his will and things like that? Because he's technically not dead or they right. don't know that he's dead. And then Marie, poor Marie, is going through this whole she saw what her husband did by planting planting evidence mm -hmm. and then she gets diagnosed with something and it's just this very like there's just so much happening so much happening and it's hard to like you get captivated by the stories of each of the women that you mm -hmm. kind of forget that there's this larger issue of mr crater being gone yep and it's just like huh. mm -hmm. and then then you figure it all out well she figures it all out yeah. for us yeah yeah <laughs> i literally finished this book in 10 hours it was so good. I was worried I was not going to finish it in time for this podcast because I just got it on Thursday and then I finished it last night and sent Corey a text message. So I was like, let's record tomorrow morning. This book is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so yay. After a rough week last week, <laughs> we are on a book high. <laughs> exactly. Um, let's see here. What else did I have in my notes? Okay. I liked that each of these women, I, I thought, again, these were really strong women protagonists. There was more to each of them than meets the eye. 
they were really complex and multi-layered. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, just even using Stella as an example, she's this beautiful, seems like useless uh, society wife, but yet she's pretty strong and savvy. Yeah. Um, and really that's all, I think all three of them, you know, all, I think, all, and that's maybe the point of the story is that all three of the women are underestimated. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, the men in here, and again, probably the time period, yeah. uh, just nasty characters yep. overall. None of them were particular. They all had huge flaws, not particularly likable, very misogynist, uh, corrupt, overbearing, violent, you know, just things that you weren't really rooting for any of the men. You were definitely rooting for the women. In this yeah, book. definitely. So, yeah. And I thought it was really beautifully written. I, I thought you really got a sense of the time. She wove in some good historical accuracy of what was going on as far as political corruption and Tammany Hall and gangsters and yeah. all of that. You really kind of got a sense of the 1930s and prohibition and all of that. Yeah, it was, it was really, I really liked it. Yeah. Cool. And then I do have a quote. Um, yeah. And I have a question. So you okay. read your quote and then I'll ask my question. Perfect. So I only have one quote because I was just plowing through this book so quickly and it's towards the end. And I think her and Jude are talking and Stella being her, sorry, just said, I hate being predictable. And he <laughs> responded with, I believe they call that classy, which I was just kind of like, I am totally classy and predictable all at the same time. I love it. So boom, boom, boom. I just liked it. Cause it was, it showed that she, you know, she was a classy woman and I think being classy is nice, mm-hmm. especially in today's times. I feel like classiness is kind of slowly disappearing. Yeah. So. That actually reminds me, I loved the first paragraph of this book. So I'm going to read that and then I'll ask my question. Okay. Okay. Let me get to it. All right. We begin in a bar. We will end here as well, but that is more than you need to know at the moment. For now, a woman sits in a corner booth waiting to give her confession, but her party is late and without an audience, she looks small and alone, like an invalid in an oversized church pew. It's not so easy for her, this truth telling, and she strains against it. A single strand of pearls, brittle and yellowed with age, rests against the flat plane of her chest. She rolls them between her fingers as though counting the beads on a rosary. Stella Crater has avoided this confession for 39 years, the same number of years she's been coming to this bar. So that's just kind of the taste of like the poetic language that Mm -hmm. uh, the author has throughout the whole entire book. It's really captivating. Yeah. 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 As long as like the mysterious whodunit thing, the language itself is quite beautiful. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Okay. So my question, what do you think of the fate of the maid and the mistress? I mean, I think it's lame. Right. But I mean, Ritzy gets her happy ending, which I kind of enjoy. Like kind of, yeah. You know, he crawls into bed next to her and it's like, Oh, I love Mm -hmm. that feeling. And then, you know, like fucks ovarian cancer. Like, yeah. And then the, yeah. Which, and it just has ties to like the next, one of the next books we're reading in Mm -hmm. regards to, Mm, um interesting our next pick and i'm just like oh god cervical cancer yeah let's let's try and figure out how to kill that people (laughs) um but i was kind of bummed that marie Mm -hmm. had a yeah bad fate because i really liked her Mm -hmm. and she was trying so hard and she just seemed like a lovable character right how about for you i don't know i mean i think i i don't always need a happy ending um or resolution for everything that happened. I, I felt almost like Ritzy's ending was a little too perfect. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. And, and maybe unrealistic. I mean, I was glad that she got away. But at the same time, I was like, eh, really? That's what she did? Yeah. 
So I don't know. Meh, 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 meh. But overall, I mean, that would be my only critique of the book because I, I wasn't quite sure how, I mean, I guess she had to tie it up somehow. So there's worse ways she could have done it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that is all we have today about our mystery experience. Uh, Carrie, do you want to reveal our genre and picks for next episode? Sure. So for our next episode, we're going to do creative nonfiction and more specifically literary journalism. And I picked The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Skloot. And I think this is actually becoming a movie, so uh, I'm glad that we're reading it now. But the premise of the book is her name was Henrietta Lacks, but scientists know her as Gila. She was a poor black tobacco farmer whose cells, taken without her knowledge in 1951, became one of the most important tools in medicine, vital for developing the polio vaccine, cloning, gene mapping, and more. Henrietta's cells have been bought and sold by the billions, that she remains virtually unknown, and her family can't afford health insurance. This phenomenal New York Times bestseller tells a riveting story of the collision between ethics, race, and medicine, of scientific discovery and faith healing, and of, of a daughter consumed with questions about the mother she never knew. Ooh, that just gave me goosebumps. Yeah, I started reading it last night, and it's delicious. It's yes. I mean, delicious yep. is a horrible way to describe that, but mm-hmm. I just mean in... It's yep. just captivating it's so engaging. far. Yeah. yeah. It's been on my TBR list so I'm for a while now, so I'm glad you picked I it. I saw that on Goodreads. Hey. <laughs> All right. So, uh, continuing the theme of pulling stuff from my shelf that I haven't <laughs> read yet, I picked The Empathy Exams by Leslie Jameson. So I'm just going to read the description for you. Beginning with her experience as a medical actor who was paid to act out symptoms for medical solutions to diagnose. How cool is that? Yeah. Uh, Leslie Jameson's visceral and revealing essays ask essential questions about our basic understanding of others. How should we care about each other? How can we feel another's pain, especially when pain can be assumed, distorted, or performed? Is empathy a tool by which to test or even grade each other? By confronting pain, real and imagined, her own and others, Jameson uncovers a personal and cultural urgency to feel. She draws from her own experiences of illness and bodily injury to engage in an exploration that extends far beyond her life, spanning wide-ranging territory, from from poverty tourism to phantom diseases, street violence to reality television, illness to incarceration, in its search for a kind of sight shaped by humility and grace. So we're both kind of picking medical type books this time. We're on a roll. It's like we have the same brain or something. (laughs) All right. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. Hey, book friends. We hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks for listening along with us. Head over to our podcast site to share your recommendations and your opinions with us on the books we have read. That website is booksandteapodcast.com. It's also where you will find our podcast show notes with a full list of titles for the books, along with our favorite tea and what we mentioned today. If you are on any social media, feel free to stop by our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter accounts. You will find those links on our website. To be the first to hear about the next new podcast and what we are working on, make sure you are signed up to our newsletter. 